Hello everyone, I'm Alex and I'm here with my husband Shane and we are so glad that you could join us for happy hour on this Family Tree Podcast episode 176. And folks, it's a big night. I'm sitting here with a bona fide, bonafide celebrity, Shane, cheers. And that is because Shane's comedy sketch show produced by Bruce McCullough of Kids in the Hall, The Dessert, came out last Friday. This is a huge thing. So Shane, you're like, I mean, you have billboards around the city. Your face is on the TV screen right now. We got it playing in the background on mute. Like, do you feel like you are famous? I paid for the billboards myself. <laughs> just just to clarify for people who think I'm big time. But when I say I paid for the billboards, I'm part of a production team called Platonic Friends with Mike Veerman, Jonathan Popolis. And uh, yeah, we did a sketch show. And inexplicably, it's on TV and we are so desperate to get people to watch <laughs> that we are watching the show on mute right now to somehow kick the algorithm yeah. up one minus, like one little percentage point to see if that helps. Because the show was trending all weekend. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if Crave manipulates that or if it was actually trending, but I hope you watched it. I, I hope you had a little chuckle, but I hope you made it to episode <laughs> six because so many people are telling me episode one and two were good, but a little bit like, um, I don't know, too digestible. And I thought mm. it was pretty wild. Like there's full frontal male nudity. There's all sorts of things that I can't even say on air. <laughs> and, but people are telling me they like episodes four, five, and six the best. So I've been debating, do I, should I have started with episodes four, no five, and way. six? But no, because episodes one, two, and three set up episodes four, five, and six. Episode six, you get an awesome episode with Alex, who's like, obviously nepotism is going on. Like Alex is a nepo <laughs> baby in the show. But people have said you're the best actress in the show. Hey, for listeners of this podcast, all right, you support us here. You support us on Instagram. Get on watching the dessert and at least go watch my part and tell me how I do. Because I'm, I'm very fragile here, guys. I'm not an actress. I'm a little bit nervous. I'm all excited. But you need to watch it and uh, pump up the old ego a little bit. And when I say best actress in the show, I mean just acting. Because Isabella Campbell and Jillian yes. Smart are just next level hilarious comedic actresses um i don't know like I, I just got really lucky having them being a part of the show jillian i met through dming my other podcast and she turned out to be like i don't know the next phoebe waller bridge in terms of actor yeah. writer performer and um isabella campbell uh, we're calling her young gilda radner in terms like of that. charisma the way she jumps off the screen and I thought I came up with that, but I, I told her, you're like Gilda Renner. And she said that's her favorite person on Amazing. SNL, which is weird because she's like 25 years old. How does a 25-year-old like Gilda Radner? Parents, like like my parents used to show me videos of Gilda Radner. And maybe hers, like her grandma is up and kicking and hanging out like she came to the premiere. Maybe her grandma is a big SNL head. Who knows? Okay. I don't know how these kids find things, but I only know of Gilda Radner. I've never seen her on SNL like a skit and said, oh, I, she's hilarious. She does one of my favorite skits of all time. What's that? Hey, you. Mm. So it's the perfume. It's, hey, you, the perfume for one night stands. Oh, okay, I've and seen that. <laughs> yeah, your dad loves that one too. He's well, they active. used to call me, my parents used to call me, hey, you, when I'd like go out and then, uh, you know, come home the next morning, like from sleeping over at a friend's house or yeah, something. Yeah, right. Yes. You are the queen of one night stands. <laughs> no. We met on a one night stand. It, it wasn't a one night stand. We also had a date the second day, Shane. 
Um, hmm. But it was not a one night stand. And when I would come, it, and it would be from like waking up my at my own house as well. Okay, I just have smeared mascara. I didn't like my number one thing. No matter how late I come home whatever. I always wash my face before bed, but I did not abide by that as a woman in her young 20s. And then I'd always wake up the mm. next morning looking very, hey, you. Man, I just had a total flashback to our first date. That was weird. <laughs> now we're here with kids. Isn't That's it? so weird. We got two kids, a TV show. Do you, know, do you know what's so memorable for some reason? That Halloween we went out where you were Gwyneth Paltrow. Oh, that was our first Halloween together. Yes. And, you know, you go out all out on the first of Halloween course. as a couple. So, I never dressed up on Halloween ever. <laughs> and I'm getting my face professionally painted. I'm spending like 150 bucks <laughs> to get my face painted like Owen Wilson in Royal Tenenbaums when he, he's tripping out on mescaline. And it's he paints his face. classic scene. Yeah. But normally people go as Gwyneth and Luke Wilson's character because mm. they fell in love. But I thought it'd be totally cool if I was Owen Wilson. It was totally cool. Yeah. And I'd say it solidified things in our relationship. And I made a good Gwyneth, too. But I had to take a train because I, I oh, got this really fancy face painter. And I got a train. Uh, I had to take the train to Toronto and come back to Hamilton because that's where our Halloween party was. But I don't have blonde hair. I have brown hair. And I couldn't <laughs> find a wig. So my face is painted in this way. And the movie Lone Ranger <laughs> had just come out with Johnny Depp. So everyone thought I was like, and Johnny Depp was getting heat for appropriating that culture. And, and you kind of look like Johnny Depp, which adds to it. Yeah. So everyone on the train thought I was trying to make some sort of oh, statement. No. And I was getting not picked on, but there was an air in the air of this guy's an <laughs> asshole. Anyway, great Halloween. Great Halloween. And it's funny because, you know, you dressed up like classic actor, classic scene from a movie. You weren't an actor. I mean, maybe you had done smaller things, but you weren't an actor when we met Shane. You were a commercial director and producer, which you still are. But now you're a full on actor. And somebody on Reddit today called you the next Will Arnett. How does that make you feel? Like, do you feel good with that do you feel pressure do you feel embarrassed like what are your thoughts when you read stuff like that because that's a, that's a big thing well i don't know if you know but i also got cast in another film coming up that i'm gonna be in i know because i'm playing a basketball coach a high school basketball coach you're missing um a five-year-old rave birthday party because you're going to that what, what day is that the 22nd okay that's good to know because i gotta confirm the dates with these people <laughs> but yeah i'm a comedic actor which you know, people take it a, a little bit easier on you, but I'm flattered if someone can think I'm a passable actor. The main reason I was in this and cast, I think, is to save money because mm-hmm. we didn't have to pay me necessarily. Mm-hmm. True. I was able to split my wages three ways uh, with my platonic friends who did the same for me because Mike Veerman wrote so many amazing songs and did so many amazing things. And he's got me as taking royalties on a song that he wrote. So we really are a dream team. And if you can do everything yourself, do it on a project because you will save money. So Mike wrote songs. We didn't have to pay him. Mm-hmm. I was able to act. We didn't really have to pay me. I was able to write. Didn't have to pay me for writing. <laughs> and that's how you do Canadian stuff. Hold on, babe. You are skirting these questions, though. I'm going to ask oh, you. Oh, what's the question? I'm asking you directly. When you see somebody saying, like, you are the next Will Arnett, which is saying something big, are you getting excited by that? nervous by that do you feel pressure um i don't know is will arnett being chased down the street (laughs) (laughs) it's will arnett get him it's a hot day's night that's he's huge 
Yeah, I guess he's big, but he's not. I don't know if people cite him as like. Do you know who the funniest man in the world? No, is? he's the perfect level. He is. Yeah, you're of right. Fame. You're right. If I, I, you're right. And I think. Success. And people have called me like there was a janitor at Much Music who was like, "You remind me of that actor," and I always have this glimmer of hope it's going to be somebody <laughs> who's unbelievably handsome. I'm like who? Will Arnett. He's cute though. He's fine. He is fine, and that's <laughs> you know I guess how I am too. <laughs> I'm fine. <laughs> No, you're fine. Oh, I thought you were going to say, no, you're damn fine. <laughs> same, same meaning. Um, but yeah, Shane, it is it is pretty wild. Every single time we drive by your billboard, whether or not you're in your car, because guys, we have a billboard on our street, like on the main street close to where we live. There's a billboard of Shane and Bella and Jill. And every time we go by, Betty goes, it's daddy's billboard, daddy's billboard, and gets so pumped up. And it's the cutest thing ever. And honestly, I feel like I'm married to a bit of a celeb. That's cool. Well, how do you feel, Alex, being totally not in the entertainment industry, marrying a guy who's kind of in the entertainment industry, becoming more popular than me, starting this online (laughs) thing, becoming a bit of a local celeb, and now you will have starring role in a sketch show that was the number one trending show this weekend? Look. I feel like in a way, it's just an extension of what I am good at, what I'm meant to be doing in some way. It's like when I'm in education, I'm lecturing, I'm talking about things that I'm good at, I'm holding court. Um, Even like at your premiere last week, I was the door person, okay? Lowly door person, best job of my life, turned it into such an event, talked to everybody who came through. It was such a blast for me. And I love that kind of atmosphere. So I love it. I'm having a great time. And I just, I I like being in that kind of environment. You know what I mean? So it feels good. It feels great. Feels like you belong. Feels like I belong. Even though I don't know what the hell's going on ever. Feels like I belong. I find my way. Yeah. Does anyone ever know what the hell's going on? No. Actually, we get into that a lot in our interview today. But again, we'll we'll get to that later. But that's a huge portion of that discussion. But Shane, I have another question I want to ask you about the show. Two-parter. Okay. okay are you ready? What was the best part? And I'm asking this because I'm selfish. What was the best part about working on set with me? And what was the most challenging? And I, I want to kind of paint the scene for the listeners. Because these were, what, 14-hour days? Yeah, most of them. So we worked in the summer, you know, here and there. And then we did a month, a month and a half straight of 14-hour days. You and I waking up early, going to set, working together all day, coming home, running lines, sleeping for a couple hours, and then doing the same thing. And you're doing that with your partner, your co-parent, everything. It's hard enough working with your partner never mind working under that crazy timeline like that's that's a lot so i'm just curious your thoughts on the experience i'll answer that but for one second it, it's such a weird time because how who was looking after our kids in that <laughs> we so because so we're working 14 <laughs> hours a day together hand in hand together every moment of the day who was putting the kids to bed? Who was feeding them? How how did that happen? Shane, this is where it's like, you know, some people are lucky enough to have a village. We have a GD village. We had 
my mom handing off to your stepmom, handing off to your mom, handing off to my brother, handing off to your sister. We had all of our relatives, like all of our immediate family on deck every single day. And the three moms, so my mother, Lorna, Nona, Roseanne, your stepmom, and then your mom, Trish, were texting each other's schedules. They were working it out, timelines and everything like that. And then when they couldn't make a certain timeline, your mm. sister and my brother would step in. Like, that's it, crazy. That's, and like, that was, I didn't even think of that. Shane, you know, all day for a month. Mm. So that's taking the kids to their first day of school, taking them to daycare every day, packing their lunches, making them dinner, putting them to bed, giving them baths, reading them books at bedtime. Every single mm-hmm. day for a month and a half. That That's was mind blowing. See, I was caught up so much in the idea of making a show that you become so focused you can't see anything else. Mm-hmm. And wow, like I couldn't imagine them doing that right now. That seems like the wildest thing. But everyone was so invested in mm-hmm. the idea of doing the TV show. Yeah. And now it's out there. And now the whole world gets to hear your fart jokes that our three moms work so hard and babysit it <laughs> so, so hard for. People are probably wondering, oh, why would Alex be on set every day? And the reason is I needed a personal assistant I could trust. And I didn't trust anyone else. And there was, uh, we did, like Alex was saying, we did these summertime sessions mm-hmm. with like a skeleton crew, so very few people. And there was a little bit of a screw up on set one day. And I just thought if Alex was here, that screw up wouldn't have happened if I was relying on her to complete this task. So when the the main unit started for this month long period, we're talking about after the summer was over, I said, Alex, I need you to take a sabbatical from work. (laughs) You'll be my assistant and the show will be so much better with you being there. And Alex just, you know, being Alex, she's excited at this prospect and she likes the idea motorcycle by our, <laughs> our, our street and you agreed and it was just so easy not easy comfortable mm-hmm. having you around and so many little problems would happen like there'd be a moment where we would need a prop and the prop just wasn't there and you would go in one case i think we needed uh it was a dinosaur sketch and i was playing mm-hmm. a teacher and i had this old school projector and i was putting those uh what are those thin see-through things uh, the cellophane paper cellophane for paper an overhead projector for an overhead projector and one was missing a key dinosaur was missing <laughs> that was supposed to be projected and you went to staples and somehow mm-hmm. got it printed on the cellophane and came right back within the hour which mm-hmm. is ha- when we needed it and because of that I'm able to say turtle guy and I put a turtle like this prehistoric turtle. You have to see the (laughs) sketch, but it's one of the best sketches. Episode four, last sketch. Watch that sketch because when you see big turtle guy, that's because of Alex and that's the best sketch in the show. Look, I was picking up wigs. I was picking up beards. I was Shane had like a throat thing for the first two weeks of filming. So I was making him tease and pouring raw honey down his throat every 30 minutes on set. And when you okay, you know me listeners, you know me, you sit here and you listen to me talking to Shane and I've done a few solo episodes in the last couple months while Shane's been busy with this. And I've talked pretty openly about you know, my thoughts around this and my enjoyment in being there and being present. So when Shane's like, yeah, yeah, we could definitely use you on set. Like I could definitely use you. I am jumping for freaking joy, right? I just want to be a part of it. Like I want to see him at work. I want to be a part of the work. And I have so much pride in everything that we did. Like it was 
It was so much fun. Who can say that they worked on a show with their with their spouse? And our daughter was in a sketch, yes. the zoo sketch, episode three. That was so cute. So one. She runs away like little cutie. Yeah, but episode three, sketch one. What was the best part about having me there? Just comfort and knowing that you could do everything. And uh, yeah, you know, true partnership we have. Did you find any part of it challenging? No, it was much easier. There was easiest part in our entire relationship was probably working on that set. We were a team. We were around each other at all times. People thought it was very cute. But we had a a common goal, and the goal was just to make everything good. And I wasn't allowed to cough on set, so you had to give me honey packets. COVID. Yes, because of COVID. And if I coughed, and I, for some reason, I had this crazy throat, even though I didn't have COVID, (laughs) I had, for the first week and a half, you to give me little honey packets every 10 minutes, and my skin broke out in this crazy red rash because I was over-consuming honey. (laughs) But you were my sweetie. Um, Okay, so Shane... What about the whole ordeal makes you the most proud? That it's over and it's on TV right now. Hell yeah. Because it, when you're in it, you think it's never going to end. This took over three and a half years. I know this is a parenting podcast. We're focusing a lot on a TV show, but uh, I guess it's a relationship podcast. And this was trying on our relationship and a project like this, you know, I, I don't think... Many people have TV shows, but there's trying times in people's mm-hmm. life, surgeries, deaths, uh, whatever, where you have to really help out mm-hmm. your partner. And this was the ultimate test. Well, Shane, like it's work, right? That was our work. That was our job together for that mm-hmm. time period. And freaking working parents. I mean, we are hardworking parents, right? And we were trying to do so much of this simultaneously with the kids, I mean, in the summertime when you're in the process of planning it. And I think all of it, even if the, the people listening don't have a TV show, it, it's relatable just oh, that's because we're I working mean. parents. Yeah. What I mean is something in life, whether it be mm-hmm. a TV show or something else, you're going to have to support your partner and be around them and take maybe a, a break from work to help yeah. out. Like, you know, people... They get in car accidents and injured or their parent dies and they're grieving or whatever. Mm. They're out of it or they're going through a stressful period or they have a surgery. It's just at some point in a partnership or marriage, there's going to be where one person needs your help for a month or so. And it's going to throw your life out of balance. So this is where you helped me an inordinate amount. And then I'm sure there's going to be some time, you know, lupus flare up something I'm going to need to help you an inordinate amount. And look, I'm just going to say, listeners, go and get Crave or HBO Max, whatever, and watch this show right now so that we can get a season two and I can do it all over again. Yes, it's the <laughs> silliest show in the world, but no show, I promise you, has thought about every little joke and connected. Everything's connected in this show in the weirdest way. And on the surface, yes, there's a lot of farts and poops and uh pee jokes and a lot of stuff that's inappropriate <laughs> and full frontal male nudity not mine don't worry <laughs> other people <laughs> nightmares <laughs> no yeah <laughs> the, these were adult film performers so they knew what yeah. they were doing they were very comfortable but there is more going on to this show than meets the eye no it, it is and i hope you guys really like it but shane so proud of you so proud of everybody involved but do do you have any more questions on this or should we move to our interview yeah, what do you think was the hardest part 
because obviously you you were in heaven being on the show because it was so cool for you. But what was a day or a part or a moment that you were like, get me out of here? Maybe one of there are a couple tricky parts like physically just because you're exhausted and you're on your feet like you don't you don't sit down especially with what Shane and I were Shane's acting and whatnot but with what I was doing I was the gopher anytime somebody needed something I'd be doing it if there was like a mess on set or something I'd be the one cleaning it up little things like that like I was helping out at every department can you do your gopher voice what's a gopher sound like wood (laughs) got any wood we need to Okay, let's just. <laughs> sorry, Erica, sorry, yeah, I'm an idiot. <laughs> no, keep it. What's keep that. Keep all the snorts. What the? That's real. What's no one laughs like this. What's a gopher voice, Shane? Like the caddy? Isn't the caddy shack thing a gopher? He doesn't talk. Oh, I'm thinking of the woodchuck. I'm mixing up woodchuck because <laughs> he likes wood. In um, America's funniest home. Yeah, gophers, America's funniest people with Dave Coulier. Gophers just pop out of the ground. Sorry, that's snort worthy. <laughs> okay. Um, I would say if there was a point where it was ever really difficult, it was maybe if I was like, okay, there was one time in particular where we were filming outside. It was a really long day. We were losing light. So everybody was very high stress. And it was a really tough scene for Shane because he had like this huge monologue to learn and to recite and he didn't have his eyesight because his eyes were covered and I don't want to ruin the sketch for you so watch it so he and I are reciting his monologues all day long and we're really trying and then we get to set and his eyes are covered so I was also trying to move him around set and get him place to place safely but then you know the director and the guy with the camera they're like yelling because there's garbage on the set and nobody was coming to clean it so I left to go and pick up the garbage so that they could start filming again. And I am I left Shane safely there. And then I'm going to pick up garbage and I got my hands full and then somebody's giving me props to put on Shane and whatnot. And everybody, because everybody on set realized that I was Shane's like go-to person or if like they were scared to tell Shane something, they'd tell me to have me break it to him or whatever. So a lot of people were just coming to me all day with problems. And that had been a day like that where I had dealt with so many little things. And then you needed to move, but you couldn't see anything. And you're like, Alex? And you're feeling around for me. You're like, Alex, where are you? And I was like, arms full of garbage 20 feet away. And uh, I was just like, what the fuck am I doing here? Like, this is so frustrating. And that little blip, which is even hilarious and like fun and has a warm place in my heart. That was the toughest time. Every, yeah. like, it was fun. Being blinded. Like there's a s- sketch where I play a superhero named Sightless. Okay. We'll admit <laughs> it. No one cares. But not being able to see is the worst experience. Yeah. yeah. And and like to learn my lines, I always had to glance at my phone and remember them. But without that sense, oh my goodness, really give me an appreciation for seeing. <laughs> <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> no kidding. But, but anyway, yeah, yeah let's... Uh, Let's move on because we have a guest today. We do. So I'm really excited about this one, folks. We speak to Sarah Merrill Hall. So she is the founder of the very hilarious big time meme page, Big Kid Problems. And she is the host of Bottle Service Podcast. And honestly, Shane, when I found out the name of her podcast, I was very jealous. That's a great name. Bottle Service? 
Yeah, it's it's good for a meme page too. It's clever. Yes. And as you know, I've had to do some interviews where people are like, you're funny, Shane. Meme this. And they'll hold up a photo and people think I'd be like quick witted or some improv person. <laughs> it's tough to be, do a funny meme. 100%. People take memes for granted. I'm telling you, if you can do a good meme, you are smart. No, Sarah is hilarious. She is insightful. And honestly, I just felt like she was such a pal that I had known for years and years. We are on the same wavelength. So we sit down and we just talk about pregnancy, birth, postpartum. We sift through the bullshit that people tell you about those things and we reminisce about the joys. And it's a really great conversation. You're going to get a lot from it. Um, Just two gals talking. I like that. (laughs) Yeah. But before we get to these gals, let's tell everyone who we're supported by. We are supported by Mini Miosh, a premium, organic, ethically made, and sustainable kids and babies clothing company founded and created in Toronto. Mini Miosh believes in quality over quantity, and they make the best basics for your little. And that's why we have such a large quantity. <laughs> it's true. Of their quality. Oh, they're amazing. And they're all fashionable wardrobe staples that are soft, comfy, and timeless, and can be passed from child to child regardless of gender. Their organic cotton fabrics are knit and dyed locally using GOTS certified organic cotton and low impact non-toxic dyes. And what I love about it is you can change your children easily with it. If you have small, fussy children who that are very hard to change, it's comfortable clothing that they're not going to complain that they're itchy in and you can get it on and off very, very easily. Get their bike rom- the biker rompers, whatever they're called. They're amazing. Um, and they now have a women's collection, which is great because Shane and I were getting real jealous of the girls for a long time. Shane can remain jealous, but they have the M and West collection for women. This is simple clothing made out of French terry. It's all ethically and sustainably produced and just soft and comfortable and like looks phenomenal. It's true. Yeah, I am jealous, but they did make a hat that was unisex. It's true. <laughs> and I wore it, and it was the comfiest hat ever. I still have it, but it's a winter hat. You can find the company online at minimiosh.com or at minimiosh on Instagram and Facebook. And if you use the promo code ThisFamilyTree15, you're getting 15% off your order. It's available in Canada and in the US, and it is only one use per customer. So load up that cart. And again, that is minimiosh.com and ThisFamilyTree15. But we are also supported by true earth and if you listen to this podcast you know that shane and i have been trying to reduce our environmental footprint and there are so many ways that you know if you're interested in this your family can go about starting but the way we started honestly it was so easy we wanted to eliminate single-use plastics in our household and we started with laundry detergent bottles who knew i used to think laundry detergent those are being recycled (laughs) Nuh uh turns out very few actually end up getting recycled the recycling industry tricked me It does trick you. Only like 8% of the things that you actually put in the recycling bin end up getting recycled. It's wild. So we discovered True Earth Laundry Detergent and we have never looked back. This detergent comes in pre-measured soluble strips that you simply rip apart and put in your wash. It is so easy. And the best part is that there's no plastic. And because the packaging is so compact, it has drastically changed. Number one, the amount we're throwing in the recycling bin, but number two, the tidiness of our laundry room. It is beautiful in there. I can spin around. It it just used to be 
a dump in there, oddly enough. Yeah, it was bad. And as a family who have kids with super sensitive skin, we typically opt for the baby detergent. It's fragrance-free, gentle on skin, and still so tough on dirt. So check out True Earth Detergent, and like they have a wealth of other products. You can check them all out. They're all incredible. Check these out at true.earth. And if you use our promo code, thisfamilytree10, you're getting 10% off your order. And that could be a one-time order or it could be 10% off of a whole subscription. But is it a one-time order? If you You use it just once, you can choose using it once. Yeah, or like for a subscription. Okay, so use it for the subscription. Or or I say buy it full price. Mm -hmm. And then if you like it, use it for the subscription. I guarantee you're going to like it though. Oh, 100%. And again, that is true.earth and this family tree 10. Oh my gosh. Sarah Marahal with us today. Listeners, we have just gone through now 12 minutes of tech issues because nothing is working out today on my end um, in all of life. So I'm so sorry you had to join me on this cursed day, and I am so happy you're here. Sarah Merrill Hall is the founder of Big Kid Problems, your digital creator. You're, I'm going to say a new mom. Yes. A year in. One year in, baby. Still technically postpartum. I still feel postpartum, and my youngest just turned three. Uh, I was wondering when you start to feel normal again. <laughs> <laughs> I start. I, I started feeling normal much sooner than this but I have crazy things going on with me and I just have a feeling that this is the rest of my life like this is womanhood in general (laughs) and it's so shit um (laughs) like just to fill you in what I'm going through because you may see me making weird faces and I'm not like pooping my pants um I've been getting these cramps like menstrual cramps that are as intense and I'm not exaggerating this at all they are as intense as labor pains and they started at about three o'clock in the morning and I have been like on and off in intense pain all day I popped a few painkillers right now baby girl we need to get you to a doctor what the hell I just did a survey though on my thing and so many people are relating to this and apparently this is a thing after having babies um but i would i would still maybe check that out if you're having like labor pain pain that's worth that's worth a doctor visit oh i know well i discovered this thing i discovered there's perimenopause before menopause you can just develop endometriosis out of nowhere too which i didn't know could happen god being a woman is just the best isn't it (laughs) (laughs) the best but I gotta say you seem to be doing a hell of a job at it and I want to start first of all talking about big kid problems because it's a hilarious account like you do an amazing job with it how long have you been running that oh thank you so much I've been at it I actually started it when I was a senior in college so it's been a minute (laughs) it's been like oh my god I can't do math but like 11 12 years 12 years of this shit you're like an og instagrammer yeah well i i mean technically i started it before instagram even existed i started it on twitter that's amazing (laughs) yeah yeah so og for sure i mean i um yeah i started on twitter and then uh when instagram came out you know i i moved it over to instagram i i learned what memes were like i was just telling jokes on twitter and then i like discovered what memes were remember there was a time like before memes existed guys um the dark ages I, I called them memes when they first came out. I didn't know it was me. <laughs> you sound like my mom. My mom's like, uh, my daughter makes memes for a living. Is that bad? 
Um, but yeah, so I, I discovered what memes were on Instagram and then just started taking my jokes from Twitter and like adding pictures to them and creating memes. And, um, that's what I do as a job. It's ridiculous. It's absurd, but here I am. And it's amazing. And all of life (laughs) is absurd. So why the hell not? Exactly. That's the whole thing. I just make fun of like daily life and growing up and, still feeling like a kid kind of like navigating like you we're all just like 12 year olds like you know walking around with bills now so that's kind of the genesis shane and i like my husband and i were actually talking about this on the podcast a couple weeks ago about what age we feel (laughs) because like i just feel like an idiot all the time with things and i i was trying to determine if it's because I feel like I'm younger than I am, or is it just because life is so complicated? I don't know. But I landed on, I feel like, 17 in a lot of ways Ooh, for myself. That's great. What about you? Um. Okay, so I think about this all the time, too, and it shifts for me. Right now, I feel 47. <laughs> Some days, if I have, like, the right cocktail in my hand, I feel 25. That's, that's usually as young as I'll go, is 25. And then on other nights, I'm an 87, I'm an 85 year old grandma, like in bed, like watching my stories. I like, like it. thriving, but I, I have a range. I feel like I, I have, I definitely do not like settle on one age. It, it, it differs, but 17, I mean, well, you I know, just, not physically, Sarah, <laughs> like I don't feel 17 physically. I feel definitely my age or older physically. Um, I'm 34. But I feel 17 in, like, my knowledge of how to deal with the world, honestly. (laughs) You know what? Like, feeling young. I mean, to be young at heart, you know, that's, like, a good – that's a good thing. That's a good thing. I think you should embrace it. Lean in. I'll try. I'll try. At least it's summer now, so I have a little bit – I have more opportunities to do that. But So when it comes to, like, the big kid problems, right, and you talk on your main page, like, the the main focus is – just trying to navigate how to being an adult. So if you're like an 87-year-old watching your stories, like it sounds like you're pretty good at that. Do you feel like you can navigate adulthood okay? No. <laughs> That's the whole thing. So like when I started this account, I I was a college kid. I was getting ready to join the adult world and that like that the whole the name big kid problems. Like I still felt like a kid. And I always kind of thought like I'll I'll figure it out. Like I I will become an adult eventually. I'm just not there yet. And as I've run this thing and like talked to other people, I've realized like nobody ever figures it out. <laughs> like we all we're all just going to continuously have big kid problems. We're all just like you know, trying, we're all doing our best. Like even my dad, who's in his sixties, who like didn't understand what I did for the longest time. And now he's like, I have big kid problems. So I think like it just never goes away. And this is just, you know, we're all just out here doing our best. You know, I think that's one of like my thirties have been so eye opening for me in a lot of ways. And I've really felt like I've come into myself and into my confidence um, in so many different ways. And I think one of the biggest ways was realizing that literally every single person, every single person, I don't care who they are, is faking it. Just knowing how to do things. Everybody is just going along with it saying, yeah, this seems right. And sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. I don't care if you're Elon Musk. I don't care if, you know, you're the guy pumping gas. Everybody is just figuring it out as they go along. Nobody knows anything. It's so true. It's so true. I've met like very successful people 
And I'm like, dude, like I wouldn't trust you to cut my grass. No, (laughs) no. It's liberating though. Yes, it is liberating. And it it tells you like confidence is everything, you know, like there's so many times I second guess myself or I don't try for certain things because I'm like, oh, I'm not good enough for that. Like I used to do stand up comedy in New York and I was terrified to get up on stage. And there's people who, you know, it's just it's such a confidence game and it's just being able to like get up and and stand up and and do it. And there's so many people who are worse than me that were popping up there, you know, like bombing, but not having a problem with it. So I think like that's a good metaphor for life. Like you just got to just show up and try your best. And like you said, nobody we're all just we're all winging it. Yeah. And, you know, so my husband's comedy show that I helped out a lot with as well and also is in, that comes out at midnight tonight. And we are so excited. We're so nervous. It's coming out on a national, like the Netflix of Canada. It's called Crave. And we can't wait. But it's like, hold on. Like, they gave us a show. Like, we, they gave us a a ton of money to make a show. Like, we cannot believe it and it's just because my husband works incredibly hard that is amazing congrats by the way that's thank you yeah it's exciting like he fakes confidence I fake knowing what I'm doing I don't act but I acted I think I did okay and it's faking it and I think so much of that too finds its way into parenthood Like, none of us know what we're doing. That's why we're all getting in arguments in comment sections. You go into a mommy forum and it's like hell breaks loose every two minutes on those things. And I think so much of that is just it exactly is parenting. Like, nobody knows what the hell we're doing. It's so true. And especially I'm a first timer. I just completed my first year. And it was so daunting and scary. Like, just trying to figure out what the hell to do at every stage because there's so much conflicting information out there. Like you'll read one thing about like baby led weaning and I'm like, okay, this is the right way to go. And then you read another thing that's like, no, that'll kill your kid. They will choke and die. And you're like, oh my God, what? And uh, it's, it's, it's really, it's really crazy. And I have realized, I mean, parenting is so much just like trying to understand the, you know, what to do, but then also just kind of like leaning on your instincts. And I found that like that has been the biggest thing is just like intuitively, I feel like I always kind of know what to do. Well, that that sounds overly confident. (laughs) Maybe not know what to do, but like I have a general sense of like, okay. And you have you have an idea of what might work and then you'll test it out. Maybe it will. Maybe it won't. And then you learn from that. And I think so many people like I find a lot are quick to jump on people for getting something wrong. Um, And they're like, well, I would never try that. And it's like. Who the fuck cares? They tried it. They're learning from it. And if we can't fail at different things and be accepting of other people's failures or mistakes or whatever, none of us are going to collectively learn. It's going to continue to be this weird culture. But I do want to say congrats on the first year. Thank you. Thrilling. Did you have a Toy Story themed birthday party? Um, Not Toy Story. It was my first rodeo. We did my first rodeo. We live, we, we moved to Nashville. So we're like, we, we leaned into the whole like Southern like, you know, thing. And, and it was a blast. We had so much fun. We basically it was like a party for us. Like our kid was there. Yes. A one year old <laughs> has no idea. Yeah. He had a great time. But like we like us and our all of our we invited like a lot of our friends who like don't even have kids. Like they were just over. It was a house party. It was awesome. No, that's the best. And I, I am a firm believer in that children's birthday parties up to the age of four should be parties for the parents 
specifically the mom for dealing yes. with that, especially the first one. But kids, until they're four, they know it's their birthday, but they don't really care. Like yesterday was my youngest birthday. She turned three. My brother gave her a watermelon and she was just as excited for that <laughs> watermelon as any of the Lego or dolls or anything she got. Like she was thrilled and is still thrilled about that stupid watermelon. That is hilarious, by the way. And like I'm stealing that. Like I'm not getting my kid like a bike. I'm going to get him a watermelon. Do it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> No, we, we've had a lot of stupid gifts like that just when they were little, like literally rocks from the garden wrapped up. All they want to do is unwrap things. Mm-hmm. And then we just get them things they actually need. Yeah, that's smart. I want to ask Sarah, like, you know, if we're all about big pit, big kid problems and our perceptions of like adulthood and tackling those things, I want to know what your major big kid problem was before motherhood and if it has changed <sighs> after your kid. Uh, yes. <laughs> okay. Short answer. Y- yes. All of the above. Um. Yeah. I mean, that's what's that's what's funny is like since I've started this account. I mean, I've I've been through so many stages of life since I was a senior in college. Like, uh, the big kid problems have really changed over the years. Like uh, originally, it was a lot about like knowing what the fuck to do with my life, like career wise, and then financial issues like I was so broke in my early 20s like all the big kid problems were about like finance stuff then it was dating dating was my big big kid problem and like going on a million dates with like terrible guys and like am I ever gonna find anyone you know and then it was finding my person and then like waiting for them to propose for me to me (laughs) like waiting for the ring um and then most recently I mean like prior to having our baby it might have been like oh I was getting ready for our wedding like I had a lot of wedding big kid problems like you know trying to diet trying to like deal with family drama I I actually got pregnant like a month after our wedding like it was right after our wedding so I went from like dealing with a lot of that crazy stuff into holy shit we're pregnant like I thought this was gonna take I thought this I thought we were gonna have a couple months here to like regroup right yeah. And no, we uh, we were very lucky. I'm very fortunate. I, I'll, you know, I'm always quick to say, like, we're very lucky to get pregnant quickly. But like, that was also a shock. I was like, I, you know, I remember I heard all this stuff like I'm older. I thought it was just going to take a lot. And, and we just we jumped right into it. And then it was like, oh, OK, I, I thought you had like nine months to prepare for a baby. I'm like, oh, you know, even if we get pregnant, like at least I have nine months to prepare. No, the second I saw that positive pregnancy test, my life was completely different. Yeah. And it it changes in so many ways than you can imagine. I know I was not – like we – when we had our kid, so we conceived our kid like a year after we got married. So like on our anniversary. And – That's perfect, by the way. I feel like that is the move. (laughs) It was nice. It was nice. And like listeners know what happened after we together got in a bar fight on a tiny little island town in Prince Edward Island in Canada – uh, very tame bar fight, by the way. We're not violent people. Um, <laughs> I was just flicking the hats off of dudes in the bar, and then my husband aided me. And we went home feeling so pumped up, and we're like, this is the night we're going to conceive the kid. Not actually thinking it would work, but it worked. And <laughs> That's amazing. It's like, it was just, it was wild and much like you. And I wasn't prepared. Like, I didn't even know I should be taking um prenatals prenatals before you even start trying 
So I started like freaking out and so many things happen so fast and you don't have time to sit there. And I mean, I didn't. What was your perception of pregnancy before you got pregnant? Oh, before I got pregnant, um, I looked at it as like this beautiful, magical time that was like, oh, my God, womanhood. I'm going to be wearing flowy dresses like baking bread, um, like a butterfly is going to tap me on my shoulder every morning. Gorgeous. Like, gorgeous. It's gorgeous. Gorgeous. Not the reality at all. I had a ter- like I had a really rough pregnancy. Um, and I it, what's funny is I, I started so I had this idea before I got pregnant because I knew my husband and I were we we were a COVID wedding like our wedding got pushed back all of our life plans got pushed back so we had, we we knew we as soon as we got married we were basically like people were like when are you going to start trying we're like the day after our wedding um, so we knew we wanted to have kids we knew we were going there and so I had the idea I was going to start a podcast I was like I just want to like have a completely separate channel for, away from big kid problems because I don't want to make big kid problems all about like motherhood you know I. It's just I, I I have a large audience of like males and females and I don't want to like pigeonhole myself. So I'm like, I'm going to create a separate thing all about my pregnancy, thinking this is going to be like this really fun, you know, thing. We'll make it funny, but like we'll talk about like what's happening every week and like make it informative, but also fun. And um, I started it the day I was like the day I find out I'm pregnant, I'll start it. So I started it literally like a week and a half later. I just started getting violently sick <laughs> And then I and then I had this commitment to this podcast that I'm like, I have to record every week. Like, this is torture. Like, I all I wanted to do is like lay on my bathroom floor for months. But I, you know, I I picked up that microphone every week and I kept it moving. That's um, huge. Good for you. Cause that that is so hard to do under those conditions. And like I I have lupus. So right away I was considered high risk and it just kind of like is exacerbated a lot of crappy things that you go through anyway. Um, And I also teach. So I would be lecturing and I'd keep a garbage can outside of my classroom door and I would lecture and vomit and lecture (gasps) and vomit. And then I'd come home and my husband and I would podcast and I'd podcast and vomit, podcast and vomit. And it was so intense and you don't want to do anything. I want to lay in bed all day and eat like saltine crackers, but you yes. can't. You can't do that because not only do you have to go about your regular life, but you also have to like, kind of like prepare for this human that's about to get there. So what oh. was I want to know? Because like I still like I hated pregnancy, but when I look back on it now, I look at it with rose colored glasses, and I'm like, oh, like I love how my body looked with the belly. Like it was one of the most confident phases of my life because I was supposed to have a big belly and it was nice Mm. and it was freeing and I'd wear these like tiny little tops with it and it was so fun and I love feeling the baby but everything else for me sucked but I want to know worst part and best part about pregnancy for you (laughs) um well first like okay you mentioned like how cute you looked with the belly like that was another thing that I was so excited for because I see women with pregnant bellies and I'm like wow that is like beautiful and adorable I swelled like when I say like I gained weight like I gained weight everywhere I'm like nobody tells you this shit like I had a double chin my face was so swollen my arms were swollen my legs were swollen my feet were swollen like I was not cute at all (laughs) I bet you were cuter than you think 
I mean, I've seen pictures and I'm like, okay, like that is a cute picture. But I know I was working with the angles and the lighting and like, you know, I and I know how I felt. I felt not cute every day. I like I'm like people who tell you you have a pregnancy glow are liars. <laughs> um. So, yeah, that was the first thing. Best and worst thing. Um. I would say the worst was just like it completely zapped me like I was I was zapped and like so tired um you know all I wanted to do is lay in bed for from morning till night for months and like it kind of felt like my personality was gone like my humor was gone like I rely on my wits and charms for a living and I'm like I can't make jokes like I've got nothing funny to say um so I'd say that was probably the hardest best um best was just like my husband being really doting and like doing whatever I wanted. <laughs> I love that. Part. That was awesome. I love that part. Like I didn't even like clean a dish for like nine months. Like I would eat off my plate and be like, here you go. Gorgeous. <laughs> would- See, that's gorgeous. Screw the butterflies. That's the only beauty of pregnancy that I want to see. Yes. Yes. And so going into, you know, like throughout your pregnancy, whatever, and then going into labor. Because that's something else I like to touch on. Because that was a huge learning curve for me. Like, you know, we did classes. Mind you, it was like online. um, Because I didn't want to have to like go somewhere and sit with a bunch of strangers and do these classes. So we did them online. And it was amazing. Technology is great. But I knew nothing about the birthing experience, really. Like I thought I did. And then I'm in the middle of it. And they're like we're going to give you an episiotomy if that's okay. And I'm like, yes, that's great. And then as it's happening, I'm like, oh my God, wait, what are you doing? And they needed to, because the baby's heart rate, like everything was kind of going on, but I just had no idea. And I hadn't educated myself about that. And I thought I was really covering everything. And then the recovery from that was insane. How long did it take you to recover from that? My next child. Seriously? I'm not kidding you. So I had, and I I don't care if I talk about this openly. Sorry, you're going to learn a lot about me right now. (laughs) Um, But I had like this like crazy scar tissue development that was Mm. also like really painful. Um, And I won't like, I won't go into details describing it, but basically everything down there looked like a purse with a handle. It was nuts. And then when I was pregnant with my second kid, I told my OB, I was like, you have to perform something on me after I give birth and like make this normal again. And she did. Pain and problems went away after that. But it took until my second kid. Oh, yeah, it's it's crazy. And I'm like, there's so many things when it comes to birth and delivery and all this that I think is like fundamentally flawed. (laughs) Like, like, I think we need a lot more support and a lot more education going into it. Like we didn't even take classes before our birth. Like I, I think a lot of stuff got messed up in COVID times, but like, I I was thinking about that recently. I'm like, I think people used to at least go to like Lamaze classes and like learn how to push and do all that. We didn't have anything. We came in so blind, which like looking back now, I'm like, that was a really big mistake. Um, because there is it, it there are lasting impacts um it's a huge medical event it's it's a lot and i um 
And I, I think that's like an area of anybody like listening to this is like pregnant with your first one. Like you, if you're not getting the resources from your doctor, I mean, luckily we live in an age where there's so much information online, like do, do some homework before. Like I, I think going into my second, hopefully second, um, pregnancy, like I will, I will look at it in a completely different way. I did a lot of research on like my pregnancy and like what was happening to my body and my baby every single week. Like my whole podcast was about that. So I did a lot of research on that, but I did not do enough about birth and delivery. Um, and there, I mean, there's, there's some great resources out there that I could share, but like, um, I think it's worth people to like do your homework before going into birth. Cause it's not, it's not a like cut and paste, um, situation. Like everybody's birth will be different. There's so many things that can happen. Like we had a couple, um, complications arise that I was not prepared for mentally not prepared for. So when they happened, I was like really freaked out. Um, it's just crazy. I mean, but, and some people have amazing, beautiful experiences too. I want to like say that. I'm so too. jealous. Well, and, and that's the thing and they do. And that's kind of part of what is cool. Like I remember one thing that I would do because it would calm me down because I had a lot of fear about the birthing part. Um, I'd watch live, like I'd watch births online. And most of the people uploading their births online are like hippies. So like they're doing natural water births in forests. So I'm like, oh, this is great. Like she's not yelling. It's not like a movie. The baby just pops out and then she just gets out of the bathtub with it. Like this is all incredible. My birth was so opposite from that, but it was still so amazing in its own way, even though, you know, lots of shit went down and everything. It was great. Loved it for me. Um, But it is it is wild. And like you said earlier, it's hard sometimes to sift through information. But if you can, if you are a good researcher, there is phenomenal information out there. Yeah. Yeah. That's what sucks, too, is like uh, just... uh, And I hate this because it's like one of those things I like hate to say out loud, but it is true in case like anybody else listening feels this way. Like I remember after birth being so upset that I didn't have the experience that I wanted. And like for some people, it's just it's there's a real percentage of people that like come out of birth and like it wasn't great. Like I I call my birth affectionately like the best worst day of my life. (laughs) because it was it was the best it gave me my son and like I swear the second he was on my chest and we were good we were Gucci and I was like this is incredible but um before that it was like a really traumatic uh event in my life and I had like lasting like PTSD from that birth that I don't think like people a lot of people don't even know that that's a thing but it like totally is a thing yeah and you know like Speaking of the things that we don't know are things because there's there's so many from the second you get that pregnancy test, like you said, it's like there's just thing after thing. And the second you get a hang of one thing, you're like, great, I got this. Another thing arises. Um, What took you most aback out of the whole process? And I love I I, I love everybody's take on this because I get so many different answers. But was it the pregnancy aspect the birthing part or the postpartum for me the hardest was pregnancy which was surprising um because bir- well uh, actually that's not true the birth I'd say my birth was really traumatic and bad um so maybe that actually <laughs> maybe that one but but pregnancy really threw me for a loop too um I just like wasn't surprised and I wasn't surprised I, I was very surprised by some of the things that like 
why pregnancy was so bad. Like one another thing that I had during pregnancy, which I had never even heard of, was perinatal depression, which is basically like we've all heard of postpartum depression. Like I, I had heard like some women have babies and then in their postpartum period, they're depressed. I didn't know that you could be depressed. Like it's the same. It's like the sister of that uh, ailment is in pregnancy. And I had that all pregnancy. I was like the lowest I have ever felt in my entire life. And then the day I gave birth, it was lifted from my shoulders, gone. That is nuts. The hormones are crazy. Mm -hmm. I think it's unfair. I think that women as the people makers should be the stronger ones. I think we should not have to deal with all this stuff because – the world relies on us. Um, and I just don't think it's fair. We should be getting like monthly checks. Yes. <laughs> Keeping <Someone should> humanity <laughs> going. Yeah. Oh, my God. Why aren't we all idolized? <laughs> I don't understand that one. Um, we make miracles every day. What was the worst advice and the best advice that you ever got going into motherhood? Any aspect of it? <sighs> worst advice... Worst advice was, and I hate, uh, like the thing that just came to my mind is like messed up to say, but like this was just my experience is to just like trust your doctors and like trust that they like have everything that they're going to be able to do everything. And I mean, it's not bad advice because it is true. Like I gave birth in a hospital and we're very lucky to like, you know, be in a time where there's a lot of medical intervention and, you know... They were able to like keep me and my baby alive, which is amazing. But I think I I came into birth with like, well, my doctor's got it. Like I don't need to know all the details. Like my doctor's got it. And like I wish again, like I just wish I knew more going in. I wish I wish I knew what could happen, like what like what all I just wish I knew more instead of like relying heavily on just my doctors to just, you know, get us through it. So I'd say that that was maybe the worst piece. Best piece best piece of advice um well best thing I heard after having my baby because one thing I I experienced in the beginning and I was not prepared for this was just like I was so I I sat in the hospital holding my baby and was just like the concept of time all of a sudden started freaking me the the hell out like I would hold his little baby head and I would sit there in the hospital and just cry because I'd be like his head's not gonna fit in the palm of my hand forever and like what am I gonna do like I just I hate it like the idea of him getting bigger and like time changing I was just devastated and I would I like I just didn't every moment I was like I don't want to blink my eyes because I'm gonna miss something and like this is just so unbelievable so like the best piece of advice I got on that front was they're like you know every it just gets better like every stage is incredible and like you think you're gonna be sad that his head's not gonna fit in your hand but like the next thing's gonna happen and you're gonna like love that and then the next thing's gonna happen and you're gonna love that like yesterday I was sitting I was sitting having my coffee and my kid just like popped up next to me and started like speaking gibberish like he was trying to have a conversation with me and I'm like this is the cutest thing I've ever witnessed in my life and like you know it just it just gets better and I, I I loved that that piece of advice really helped me push through and like feel better about everything like it and, it, it, and I found it to be completely true like it just it, it's it just gets better it's great no I totally agree there's so many amazing things at every stage and every time a new stage happens I'm like this is the best one this is it. Mm-hmm. this is the cutest this is the best it's the most rewarding whatever and then the next one comes but like even today so I have my kid I was having babysitter issues today so 
my kid wasn't able to go to daycare, so she's at home with me. And last minute, I was able to get my brother to come by and help out. But I'm, like, trying to do work on the couch. I'm a little bit annoyed that she's here because she's making it difficult. Like, I'm getting snacks every 20 minutes when I'm trying to get things done. And then she snuggles up to me, and she goes, I love snuggling with my sweetie. And I was like, (laughs) I'm your sweetie? And it was, like, how can you not melt? Like, you yeah. created that thing, and it's adorable, and it's calling you its sweetie. It's wanting to hug you. Like, there's there's nothing better. They drive you crazy. And that's the thing about parenthood. It's, like, just a world of dichotomies. It's, like, it's the hardest thing. It's the most beautiful thing. It is the most annoying thing. It is the most rewarding thing. And you really learn to appreciate those. And I think the negative parts about it – They're so overshadowed by the joys, but they really help you appreciate the joys. And like, I don't know if you ever see this online because I know you have your meme account, but that doesn't entirely deal with motherhood. But you talk a lot about it on your personal page. Do you ever, have you ever dealt with somebody saying like, because, you know, dealing with these things on your podcast and talking about that, like, have you ever had somebody say, oh, like, this is too negative or come at you for being talking about realities real yeah yeah i have um especially when it comes to like the birth stuff which i'm sure those of you listening could probably understand why yes. <laughs> call it the worst <laughs> the best worst day of my life like um yeah i mean and i've had people say because I, I had a rough pregnancy too and while i was pregnant uh complaining about pregnancy and people would be like you're so ungrateful um you know like you like you don't it doesn't even sound like you want to be a mom and I'm like of course I want to be a mom I just you know I can't breathe so like that's not awesome um and I think it's really uh a limiting thing for women I think it um it only exacerbates uh isolation and like us dealing with all of our this shit because there's a lot of shit in pregnancy and postpartum in birth um it, and it makes us all kind of retreat inwards and deal with it ourselves when in reality a lot of us are dealing with these issues and like the more we talk about it and the more open we are the better that we all feel the more tools and resources are exchanged between us um i i gotta tell you i uh when i was months after giving birth and i was still dealing with like these really crazy flashbacks to birth that I just assumed were normal. You know, like I just assumed like this was like a part like, oh, I guess everybody deals with this, but like horrifying flashbacks every single night, like keeping me up at night. Before I would go to bed, I'd be so tired because I had like a one month old and I would start to get anxious because I'm like, I'm going to go to bed and I'm going to have to like basically relive my birth again. And I saw a girl post on Instagram I was like scrolling Instagram one day and I randomly saw a post about birth trauma and what it was like I had never even heard the term before and I read it and I was instantly like so relieved I'm like oh my god one I have this two it's a thing like I this I'm not just like I shouldn't feel guilty I shouldn't feel bad like this is an actual like situation that I'm in and then I you know I once I knew I had birth trauma I could like research it there's a lot of stuff I could you can do about it. I'm like, oh my God, there's like these spe- special types of therapy I can get into. And then I was able to overcome it. But when we all, sh- when people shame each other and we don't get to talk openly about the bad stuff, like that kind of thing doesn't happen. And that's why I like try to be really open about all of this in the hopes that even if, even if one person today listening to the show is like, 
oh my god maybe i have a little bit of birth trauma and like you know like that is what makes it worth it like i I, if you can make anybody feel better about this stuff and and a lot of the times on my account it's not even just about motherhood i talk about like all aspects of life and like try to make jokes about it but like actually talk about things that a lot of people like wouldn't say out loud and that's that's i think the overall goal is to make us all feel a little less alone and uh yeah and like i find that the people that make these comments the most are um either people that had kids like decades ago or people without kids, right? And <laughs> I get it from both sides, like why they can look in and, and think these things and say like, oh, how can you be so ungrateful? Because I, I get that frequently ever since I was pregnant. I've been getting that. Like I had a huge thing a couple of weeks ago. I was talking about birth and a woman in her 50s or 60s was really come down hard on me saying that I was fear-mongering and scaring women into not having birth and was blaming population, future population decline on me. But I assured her that the population was fine. Um, and I was like, look, wouldn't it be amazing if more women had knowledge of, you know, what they needed to go into having kids? Like yeah. into what it's like postpartum and the fact that the most dangerous time for women is between six and 12 weeks when we stop having our doctor's appointments because mm-hmm. that's when a lot of women take their own lives or start, you know, using out, whatever it is. It's a dangerous time period. And that's all I was saying. And I find that, like, I don't know how old your parents, like, mine are in their mid 60s. And their generation talked about those things maybe a little bit more than previous ones. But talking about this stuff openly is like very new. And I think it has yes. so much to do with social media and just how easy it is for people to communicate. And I am so grateful for that every single day. So grateful for it. Because there needs to be a place. Like our husbands see it. They witness it. But they're not living it. Like they don't know what it's like to be feeling all these things all the time yeah. and to go through and because it. and because older generations like didn't talk about it that's where we got all these like messed up and false expectations of like a butterfly landing on my shoulder and me like wearing flowy dresses baking bread like that gorgeous picture <laughs> yeah and i think i think you're absolutely right like the more knowledge it doesn't it doesn't affect your desire to have children like you know even though even though i just went through all this shit I still desire to have another baby and but the next time around I'm going to be so much more prepared because like I actually have information and I and experience. Um so I think it's it's actually really important. Uh I try and tell myself like I've posted a couple things where I know when I'm posting it I'm like this is going to get this is going <laughs> to get some heat. But I know in my heart that I'm like I think I'm doing like the right thing and like you know pushing this topic forward and I would say I've been I've been in the social media game for a minute and like my advice to anybody who's like getting negative comments like that like people who are just like basically trolling you and saying terrible things don't deserve to get to look at your con your content like I am the queen of the block and report like I report somebody I block their ass I'm like you no longer get to enjoy my wonderful content (laughs) if you're gonna be a jerk in the comments like bye get lost. Mm-hmm. See, my fault is that I, like, try to, like, educate people and win them over. And it's stupid, but I'll do it while I'm, like, taking a pee or something. And I'll be like, this is when I'm going to donate my time to you. And then they never – it never works. These people don't actually want to be educated. They just want to think that they are better than you, holier than thou for doing something differently or not talking openly about things or whatever it is. And that's how they want to live their life. And that's fine. Um, But I do 
applaud people like you. I know I'm. this is like a self-serving pat on the back as well, but that's just where I stand, the kind of person that I am. And I think people like you and like some of my other friends in that space, It's it does a lot for women, I think. I hope so. I hope it does. So, Sarah, the one last kind of segment I want to get into for this, um, this is mostly just my own curiosity because it's something that I want to do eventually. But you're going on, I don't know if you booked it or if it's just a hope, but that you are possibly going on a Euro trip this summer with baby. Yes. That is the plan. That is the plan. <laughs> okay, wait, Have is it booked yet? Okay, something you need to know about my husband and I, mainly my, this is actually my husband's fault, is we fly by the seat of our pants. Like our own honeymoon, our honeymoon, we were booking flights and hotels like on our way to the airport. Like we had a flight that dropped, got us to Greece and we had nothing else planned. Like we, we just go on, but I'm like, I, I keep telling him, I'm like, Brandon, when we travel with the baby, we need to do a little bit more planning. We need to like know where we're going. So we're um, a little over a month out. I think we have like, when we're supposed to leave is like five weeks, five or six weeks away. Um, we don't have anything yet but we're we're we keep saying we're like every night we like put our baby down we're exhausted we're like we need to plan europe <laughs> so we're going to we are That's going good. to okay where are you gonna go so right now the plan and this may change by the time this episode comes out you're gonna be like sarah that is not where you went <laughs> because like i said shit could change but the plan is we're gonna go we're gonna go to spain we we have to end up in portugal because we have a friend's wedding so we're gonna do mallorca um Potentially just just Mallorca. We may do a week in Seville and then we're going to do um, another like week and a half in uh, Portugal. So about three about three weeks, three to four weeks total. Um, but yeah, we're pumped. We're very um, excited. So we did not with our kids, but when my cousin had a two year old, we did a girl's cousin trip to Spain and Portugal with her one and a half year old. Yeah. Younger than two. And it was phenomenal. Oh, I'm going to have to actually get your tips. I'm going to need to hear like everywhere you went and everything. We did Mallorca and then um, Lagos and uh, Lisbon with the kid. And Lagos, like the Algarve was amazing for kids. All of it was so good. But um, it was it was great. Mind you, it was not my kid. And I have not done Europe yet with my kids. I'm dying Mm -hmm. to. And the one thing I'm so curious about is like you're traveling with your husband my husband and I are huge on um, having like our own fun. Yes. Doing adult stuff. So we are notorious for putting down our kids early. Their bedtime has been six o'clock since we've had them, basically, like Genius. after the baby phase. <laughs> it's amazing. Because <laughs> um, not only do we need to like podcast and do other things at night, but we also get to hang out. Uh, it's tricky as they're getting a little older, like the five-year-old is not like a 6 p.m. bedtime. Um, but that's fine. We're working through it. But in Europe, what are you going to do with the kid? Do you put the kid to bed early so you guys can sit out, have a bottle of wine, whatever? Or do you keep the kid up with you like European kids do and just have them enjoy the night? Like, what are you – I'm dying to know this because I'm dying to go to Europe, but I, I yes. want to know my expectations. So I'm I'm also questioning this because and I think we're going to we're going to probably try like both ways because our, our we put our kid to bed at seven and especially in Spain, it's a little bit tricky because like, you know, 
you, people don't even go out to dinner until like 10. So what I've heard the trick is, is to add an additional nap during the day to keep them up later. Um, I think it would be kind of cool to like give him the, the, uh, the European experience and have him go to dinner with us at like 9 30 PM. Um, so I think that's, that's our, that's at least what we're going to tr- attempt to do. Um, a couple of things we might also do is like bring a, um, a stroller with us that lays flat so that like, if he is, you know, tired, we can put him to bed. We're going to bring our sound machine, um, you know, where he can like lay flat and we'll, put a cover over the the um, stroller with the sound machine and he could potentially fall asleep there. Um, I think that's the move. I do get a little nervous. Like I don't want to put him to bed in a hotel room and then like leave the premises yeah. to go like eat dinner. Um, we have in the past when we when we've traveled, uh, well, what we've done is there's been times where we'll put him down in the hotel and then like we bring our Nanit with us. So we have like a the camera we can like watch him and then like we'll go down to the the lobby restaurant or like eat at the actual hotel um so that's like an option for parents too but yeah i think the the move is we're gonna attempt to bring him out with us and just like go full euro and i'm dying i'm gonna be following this like a hawk like i am so excited for this so you're doing a test run for me and your kid is younger than mine so i'm like you're gonna set the tone for me with this trip and i hope you feel that pressure because I'm putting it on you. I do. <laughs> but I can't wait. Nervous. I'm so excited for you guys and I hope you do it. Like that would be phenomenal. And you, European kids do it every damn day. Yeah. Yeah, they do. And like that's my husband and I were are both like pre-kids like big travelers like we we both work um for ourselves like we work remotely like we have been able to travel we like we love doing a situation like this where we'll go somewhere for like a month um and really get to like assimilate into a place I think it's like such a fun experience and I guess like what we're trying to do when we with our kid slash future kids uh, we'll see what happens there um is to just we want them to like be a part of our lives like we don't want to just like stop doing something we love like traveling because we have kids like we were gonna we're gonna bring them with us we're gonna figure it out on the road and I'm sure there's going to be some you know a learning curve there and there's gonna be some situations where like the kids having a meltdown but like you we're just gonna go and we're gonna we're gonna figure it out because we we at the end of the day we want um we want to like show them these really cool experiences and then them also like not like change our lives too much like they're gonna come into they're gonna be a part of our lives and um I think it'll be I think it'll be fun I think we'll it'll see. be a blast I think it'll be blast. since I had mine I've been looking at like villas in southern France and Croatia just because they're cheap as hell I will also say if anybody's like whoa looking at a villa they are cheap on Airbnb you can get like a castle in Croatia for less than I can get it a Sheraton room in Toronto for a night. Like it's Yeah. It's crazy. And I've just been I've been dying to do it, but it's it's the airplane ride that throws me off. I am a little scared for the airplane. I'm not gonna lie. I'm not gonna lie. It's just annoying. Like it get that too gets easier as they get older because then they rely on you a little bit less and they can just watch a movie, watch five movies and they're fine. Yeah. But it's just a little daunting. It's a little daunting. What I have heard from like my friends who've done it is just like, hey, if they don't sleep on the plane, it sucks. But like you power through and then you guys are going to sleep good, that, you know, that night when you get to where you're going and like roll with the punches. 
Hell yeah. No, that sounds awesome. And Sarah, I cannot wait to follow along, whether it's chaotic or beautiful or a mix of both. I hope, I wish you the best, but I am excited. I'm going to pick your brain after you guys do it. Thank you. And that is, that is one thing I will be sharing the, the chaos. I think that's what I have found. Like people like appreciate like I've been traveling. We went we were just in um we took our kid to the beach. We went to Florida. It was like an eight hour drive from our house. Um, And my kid we went out to dinner at this like nice place and my kid melted down like had a complete meltdown screamed the entire time like I had two bites of food like it was terrible. And like, but I shared it and I've like never gotten more people to be like, thank you. Like my kid's a dick sometimes. That's the beauty, right? That's the dichotomy again. They're dicks and they're angels all in one. Yes. Yes. That's amazing. Sarah, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for putting up with me today. Um, You're truly a kind soul. I had a blast talking to you. I love conversations like this. And I think that our listeners love conversations like this too, because it sounds like you're listening to just girl talk, a friend, friends talking, sharing stories. And it, it makes me feel just so, um, so much less isolated and I love the community but Sarah where can people go to find you in everything you do your podcast your meme accounts everything online yes I'd say my biggest thing is big kid problems on Instagram that's a huge thing me there yeah it's it's fun it's funny like it's just it's here for the giggle so come find me on big kid problems and then everything I have is linked from there too but uh, I have a personal account Sarah Merrill Hall. You can find me through that. Um, my podcast. So if anybody's like big into motherhood, birth, um, uh, pregnancy, this was supposed to just be a pregnancy podcast. And now I'm like in a postpartum season where I brought in like a lot of um, awesome experts and people that talk us through, the le- get us off the ledge of postpartum. Um, but you can find me a bottle service with big kid problems anywhere you get your podcasts. Um, but yeah, come find me, come hang out. This was so much fun. Thank you so much for having me on the show. This was a blast. No, truly my pleasure. And again, thank you so much for all your help. Um, so folks go listen to Sarah and that'll be it. And now we're back for the mailbag segment. This is where Alex takes your questions and answers them. And I kind of sit here and chime in. You're chiming. Chimer in her. You're going to be a chimer in her today. Okay. Hit me. Okay, so the first one, Shane, I mean, I I researched it, but I, I want to get your take because yeah. when I first heard this, I was like, what the hey are they talking about? The dry orgasm or quote unquote dust balls. Have you heard of this? Is this a thing men know all about? It was on an episode of Just Like That. So I haven't watched season two of And Just Like That yet, but it's on season two, episode four. Shane, have you ever heard of this term, dust balls? I've had a dry orgasm. Usually it was before the age where I could produce uh, wetness. <laughs> what's so funny, Alex? Alex, we're trying to have a mature conversation. Doctor, what's her name? Sue Johansson, the Sunday Night Sex Show just died. Is God that rest her? her soul. And now we're trying to be mature, okay? So not sorry, everyone needs to laugh. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. But... Okay, but after I reached the age of being able to produce, what do you want me to say? Seaman. (laughs) Seaman. Seaman. I have had maybe three dry ones. Okay, so you know what they are then. I've, they're very difficult to pull off. (laughs) So what it is, it's called the, the, the proper term, and I might be saying this incorrectly, but orgasmic and ejaculation. 
So this is when you have a physical orgasm, but there is no ejaculation. And it's commonly caused by one of two things. One of those things is that... You, you go to, to, to do it, but then you kind of stop and then you're caught in this holding pattern? No. Okay, what? So it's typically either caused by just simply not enough semen production mm-hmm. in your body or the semen shooting the wrong way. Ouch. And it go- no, it doesn't hurt. And it just goes up into your bladder from your, from your testicles. So that like, has you to hurt. That has to be very uncomfortable. I don't think so. It just goes the wrong way. And then when you urinate, like the next urination you have, you'd have cloudy urination. Mm. <laughs> so that's, that's that. Um, but in, in that episode, I guess Harry and Charlotte are having sex and then Harry has a dry orgasm and they get all freaked out. They're like, oh my God, are you dying or something like that? Again, I haven't seen it. But it's a thing. But you can have a dry orgasm. And this is what I learned that was interesting. Because the orgasm part, like the feeling, and the ejaculation part, they're actually two separate entities. So you can have one without the other. And the lack of ejaculate does not diminish the orgasmic feeling. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know that. I did not know that they were two separate entities. So I learned something about the male anatomy today yeah, during my research rare. it's very rare it's fascinating does it, it, it do you know like is it a thing that happens more with age like as you get older i don't know with less semen production i don't know do men do you know do you know if men like i know that there's issues with um what's a what's the proper term yeah erectile dysfunction yeah as ED. you as you age but is there as you age an issue with uh Semen production? Alex, SP? I don't know. Me and the fellas have never <laughs> talked about it. It's very rare. Over beers? All right. Next question, but that was fascinating. Okay. Do you have any movie or book recommendations? So I haven't seen a kid's movie. Sorry, I haven't seen a movie lately that wasn't a kid's movie. I've seen lots of kids' movies. Um, but Shane, you saw one recently that what? you recommended to me. I hear you recommending a lot. What, a book? No, movie. I saw a movie? Yeah. What did I see? Blackberry. Oh, Blackberry. Yes, Matt Johnson. And, and if anyone has seen the show, Nirvana, the band, the show, it is, oh my God. If I made that, I would trade the dessert <laughs> sketch show. As great as I think the dessert is, and I do think there's layers to it and it's deeper. Uh, Nirvana, the band, the show was a huge influence on me in the last five years. I think it's probably the greatest comedy show to come out of Canada. And Matt Johnson is just a brilliant mind, um, amazing energy, amazing actor. He kind of does it all producer. But wait, what's it about? Because people in Canada will know. Yeah, I'm I'm just describing the man (laughs) first. Okay, so the man who made it is great. It's like, you know, Tarantino movie is going to be good. Mm -hmm. Matt Johnson movie is going to be great. And it's about... Yeah, this Canadian company founded. It was called REM Research in Motion. And it's it's kind of like the social network, how Facebook started. But this is about BlackBerry. And as many people know, over a certain age, BlackBerry was the number one dominant phone at one point. In they fact, were amazing. it was laughable to think that someone would knock out BlackBerry as the number one smartphone. People loved the fact that it had a keyboard. Um, the idea of not having a push button keyboard was scary. And when iPhone came out, I was so hesitant. I loved my BlackBerry Bold. There was nothing better. iPhone w- was, it was just, 
you had to be like Bill Gates to work an iPhone because I mm-hmm. couldn't figure out how a touchscreen. Now that's laughable, of course, because iPhone's like the best phone you can have, I think. And Androids might be better, but we're so comfortable with yeah. our iPhones that we would never switch to an Android. Um, it's about the rise and fall of that company. And uh, the, this person, he's actually, we're recording in Hamilton. This man who um, took over BlackBerry, he tried to buy a Hamilton NHL team right. and bring it to Cops Coliseum. But he was kind of uh, an ornery guy and very unliked. And the NHL owners had to vote whether Hamilton wow. could get an NHL team or not. And they voted against it. Anyway, funny, dramatic, fascinating, great filmmaking. And it was awesome to see in theaters. I think probably right now it's out on um, whatever. I don't know how you rent mm-hmm. things these days. Prime or something like yeah, that. Yeah, Apple. Um, I heard blackberries are kind of coming back. Well, I guess in the way everything's coming back. I don't, I think probably a, a small niche audience of n- nerds or, uh, yeah, people who like, you no, know, but like I, even before this movie came out, I started hearing about more people getting blackberries again because they were like smaller and less cumbersome than iPhones mm-hmm. or something like that. Or blackberry recently came out with a good phone. I didn't even know they were still producing phones. Yeah, I know Rim is gone and some other company kind of took it over. But Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah, who knows? I loved my BlackBerry. That little, the nice thing about BlackBerry is if you live in the States or somewhere outside of Canada, the coolest thing was that there was a, a little red light that would flash every time you got notifications. So I, I just have so Ooh. many memories. BBM. Yeah. <laughs> BBM was the best. It was BlackBerry like, Messenger. Like what's Apple Messenger called? Apple Messenger? I guess. But you know how you're weird? If somebody sends you yeah. a green, it's a green bubble. Yeah. It's like, ooh, they don't have iPhone, then they can't be in the group chat or whatever. <laughs> BBM was like that. And the genius thing about BBM was it didn't count as texting. So you could have essentially unlimited texting. Then we started learning about data charges and everything. And then, but I'm going to grab a book right now because I want to do a book yeah. recommendation. And when Oz, you're grabbing that, I have a book unrecommendation. So I, I tried to get into. Glennon Doyle's Untamed. It's huge. It's been on the New York top 10 bestseller list for like three years. It is so famous. Everybody's read it. Everybody talks about it. And I really tried. I gave it my all. And here's the thing. I was in, I enjoyed it. I don't think it's bad. I don't think it's boring. But there's something about it that I just couldn't vibe with or get totally into and while I think some parts of it were really great, um, I just, I put it down. And I did not think about it after putting it down a single time. When did you start reading a book? Mm, maybe four months ago. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and you didn't tell me. That's, we have to start reading more because I'm in a book club right now. So oh, I'm, Wait, who are you in a book club with? Max Kerman. Okay. Mike Veerman. Okay. And... I don't know why, because Max does not like the idea of being, you know, married or having kids or anything. But he got into this book called The Whispers by Ashley Audrain. I'm probably saying this name terribly wrong, so my apologies, Ash. But it's a New York Times bestselling book. Apparently, it's a thriller. And let's see what it's about. It is enticing, nuanced, and unflinching. The Whispers opens a secret portal into the private lives of women in suburbia. A narrative portrait of motherhood and marriage and loneliness and longing and loss and desire. Truly masterful. So 
Max Kerman is not the type to get into a book like this, but I kind of am oddly, you know. I feel I'm like I should stuff. be reading it too. Yeah, of course. It three men reading this book might seem unlikely, but it's 2023. And Wait, uh, let's get another copy. I want to read it too. Can I be in this book club? Yeah. Um Let's let's read the same book. I don't know how to get another book. Maybe get, we buy one. Well, we that's what I'm one? saying. Buy one or audiobook. I'll just download the audiobook. Oh, you're gonna listen to the audiobook. Love it. That's the only time I can do things. Okay. Do I'm that. Driving. It seems like cheating, but okay, fine. <laughs> the whispers. The whispers. All right. So um review to come. Yeah. All right. So our next question. We know that you're parents, but do you also, either of you, hold the role of auntie, uncle, or godparents? And uh, the short answer is no. Uh, Nothing. Zilch. Yeah, my sister is an interesting case. Uh, She, I don't know if she wants, I think she knows that she would not be suitable to be a parent. Mm -hmm. And it's not for her. Yeah, it's not for everybody. And my sister's in her 40s, so I don't think it's going to happen. Not that you can't do it in your 40s. Mm-hmm. It's just combined with the fact that she really uh, isn't right for parenting. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, your your brother, I, I, I feel like, not to put pressure on him, I feel like a baby could be in his future in the next oh three God. years. Putting the pressure on. I will put, not on him. I'm joking. I don't want to give anybody any pressure. But, you know, would be nice. Would be nice. I've asked him, like, casually what before. What does he say? I was like, hey, brother, like, uh, how do you, you know, am I going to get any cousins for my kids? Yeah. And he's like, yeah, I think so. Well, you tell one hell of a story. (laughs) (laughs) But The uh, imitations and everything. Yeah, hopefully. And, I mean, you know, if it doesn't happen, whatever, that's fine. We treat my, our cousin's kids like my kid's cousins. We just call our cousin's Mm -hmm. kids our kid's cousins. And that's honestly amazing they have really great relationships but yeah be very cute too because now my dad i actually know how to handle children a little bit to look after jake's kids i know but i will be a little bit not jealous that's the wrong word but something adjacent to jealous because we're the only people that have the grandparents (laughs) you know (laughs) well then we have to share our babysitters could you imagine well the tv show made me think we are so i'm not religious man but that is blessing that is a blessing. Oh my God, is it ever? And uh, yeah, nobody has um, loves us enough or trusts us to be godparents. I don't know which one it is. Mm, call me, call me B situation. <laughs> and our final question for the night: Do you have any tips for getting your child ready for the first year of school? And yes, one hundred percent. So I would just say start getting them in some kind of routine, and it doesn't have to be like a big. Okay, by seven thirty, we're brushing teeth. Eight o'clock, we've eaten breakfast. Whatever. Just start throwing in something in the mornings where you have a little bit of a routine for your kid because they'll be under the gun. You know what I mean? Like when school and there's a timeline for things. So that just ease them into it. Another thing I'd recommend, we live really close and I'm, you know, for most people, you're going to live close to where your kid is going to elementary school. Start going to the school. Get them familiar with it. So it's not this just like big scary building that they're not used to so we would go and play basketball and drive our bikes in the parking lot things like that we'd be like lucy this is going to be your classroom right here and she'd kind of look in the windows and it just becomes like a familiar place that's associated with fun and familiarity is really good just something to add 
I totally zoned out. What was the question? I'm sorry. I just, I, I got lost early. You were staring at me like you knew what I was talking about. I looked at the TV screen and I was thinking about a scene from the TV show and then it got all messed up. Sorry. Tips for getting your kid ready for their first year of school. I don't know if anything can get them ready. Like I think these I'll, things. Sure, but... Lucy, day four, she was so she's all excited for school. She's all pumped. She, I can't wait to go to school. We're in her backpack. She comes back. I was like, How's school? She's like, Okay, fourth day. It's like, I hate school. <laughs> Terrified of going to school all of a sudden after the and she was legitimately excited. Yeah. We built it up. We made it seem like it's gonna be Disneyland. Maybe we built it up too much. I don't know. She, she hated it. She's just now liking school because I think she's calibrated to the right mm-hmm. point where she knows what to expect. And I think getting them too excited is not a good move. And I would think that was why we had our kids saying they hate school. And I talked to other parents and they're like, my daughter hates school. My son hates mm-hmm. school. All kids end up hating school. And I think it's because they're getting too hyped beforehand. Mm-hmm. See, Lucy started really, and I talked a, a lot about this on my Instagram account, but she started liking it again. I'd because say she spring, recalibrated. Like in February, March. Because she realized, mm-hmm. okay, I'm looking at it as a hellhole, mm-hmm. but it's not a hellhole. But I think these things can help, and I think it's better, like if you can find mm-hmm. a balance of getting them prepped so they're not terrified to go in. You know what I mean? I'm not saying terrify them. Calm them down, but don't be like, it's so fun. You're going to have a backpack and you're going to make a million friends because then they show up. They don't make a million friends. They're shy. They make one friend that they end up hanging Mm -hmm. out with. They're maybe feeling ostracized or mildly bullied or some boy pushes them. And then they're like, well, I'm not making a million friends like I was told. And I think that's a big mistake of telling your kid you're going to make a million friends because why? Who wants that pressure? Maybe one friend is enough. And then you think the expectation is you have to make seven friends or you have to be popular. You don't have to be popular to be happy. And maybe your kid is introverted. I like that take, Shane. Mm -hmm. I do like that take. But if you do want to look for anything else to help them out, get them involved in picking out a backpack, things like that, just to make them (laughs) feel proud. And lastly, I I do have a couple book recommendations. um, And you can grab these on Amazon or, you know, your local bookstore, whatever. But just books about the first day of school because they might go over things like nerves and not making friends, things like that. So you might find them really helpful. There's one called The Day You Begin. There is The Boy with the Big, Big Feelings. There is Our Class is a Family and A Letter from Your Teacher. So there's so much out there. Like those are just four random ones, but there are so many out there. God, books are amazing. They help you through literally every situation. Like people write kids' books for every situation under the sun it's incredible youtube's amazing everything's amazing yeah i'm so glad we live now shane yeah we would just be it's both ruining my brain and helping me (laughs) it's weird what's the perfect balance i don't know maybe 2001 technology is the perfect balance i like that it's helpful to a point and it doesn't take over your life yeah it's not good enough where it's like perfect yeah was 2001 the perfect year. I talked about this in my other podcast. I was I was saying yes. Okay, Nothing well, bad happened in two thousand one. That's what's going. <laughs> on. <laughs> oh wait. I was just gonna say. Um. Well, up until what? Let's just say from January to August. Okay, Alex. We can end the podcast now. All right, folks. Thank you so much for listening and. 
If you love us half as much as we love you for being here, listening to us and hanging out with us, go give us a five-star review. Give us the rating. We'd love to hear from you. And folks, thank you so much for listening to This this Family Family Tree Tree Podcast. Podcast, episode 167.